because before you know exactly where you are and that's self-awareness and that's being, being mindful, um, then you cannot figure out where to go next. So the first step is figuring out where you are and then you can make a map to a better place. So if you're in a bad mindset, bad mood, stressed out, not feeling well, you really need to pause and figure out like, what are my mindset coordinates? Like, where am I? And like, where do I need to go next? Are you a health professional wanting to explore all the options life has to offer? Then you've come to the right place. The Balanced Medics Handover podcast is all about living outside the box of what we've been told. I'm Isabella, your host, a junior doctor from Australia and trained coach. I'll be interviewing health professionals from all walks of life, artists, authors, non-clinical specialists, and more. These stories show that our choices are endless. Let's take the journey together. This is The Handover. Hello and welcome back to the next episode of The Handover podcast. Today we have a really special guest calling in from San Diego. Dr. Alexandra Karazi is a cardiothoracic surgeon, mother to four-year-old Harper and a passionate writer. She is the author of The Heart of Fear, a surgeon's collection of stories on adversity, passion and perseverance. Um, Can we first start with uh, saying hi? Sorry, I skipped that part. Hey, how are you, Alexandra? Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Hi, Isabella. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on this podcast. Um, I've been listening a great deal and it's a really good podcast. So um, it's great to come on as a guest. Thank you. It's great to have you here. And I like to start every episode with asking your own story in your words. So do you mind sharing about how you've come to where you are? Sure. So I think let me just skip to the turning point. Um, So I started skydiving in my early 20s and I had completed about 100 skydives. And at that time I had a malfunction. That was my first malfunction. And you train for the malfunctions basically. So you go through the training and they, you, you know, you kind of watch videos, like anything else, like even in medicine, like that's what we do. We kind of say, okay, if, if something really bad happens, this is kind of how we handle the situation. That's the same thing in skydiving. And so I, I jumped out of the plane. I was on a skydive with my two other friends, jumped out of the plane and I threw out my pilot chute. And this is basically this little parachute that comes out. And the whole purpose of the parachute is to throw out, um, is to basically open your main container and get your main parachute out. Uh, So essentially, it's like a little parachute that goes out, your main then opens, and then you get a main parachute above your head. And this is the process of deployment. We call it deploying your parachute. And so... I basically threw out my pilot chute and nothing happened. Um, And I reached behind me and I couldn't get it out. And I'm getting closer and closer to the ground. And I can see, you know, things are getting bigger. I can start to see details on the trees and (laughs) that's never good. Um, And my altimeter, which is this device that tells you how close you're getting to the ground, that's kind of starting to get into the critical area. You can, I can see it on my wrist. It's on my left wrist and it's, it's getting into the orange zone. And I also have an audible altimeter or something in my helmet that tells me, you know, where I am in relation to the ground. And I hear that thing beeping and it's going off. And it's, it's like when it's, the beeps get, you know, more frequent as you get closer to the ground. So I'm hearing all of a sudden it's like really going off in my head. I'm in the red over here and I'm like, okay. You know, and it's approaching this altitude where I have to make a decision. So 
I just say, I cannot open this main parachute. So I, I pull, I do the emergency procedures and I pull the reserve handle and I land safely. And it was basically the best feeling of my life. And I thought to myself, okay, well, I handled that really well and I didn't panic. And it was a really good sort of insight into my myself and how I handled emergencies. And it was serendipity or divine timing or something because the next week, I saw uh, surgeons, I was I was a medical student, and I was in a situation basically where I saw surgeons do the same thing in the case of an aortic dissection. So what happened is um, this guy was supposed to get an aortic dissection repair, and he ruptured when the patient was getting intubated. So his aortic dissection basically ruptured, and they were able to, they opened the chest, they got him on bypass really quickly. And I, I thought to myself, you know, that's really similar. Like, this is really bad situations, an emergency, and they just stuck to their training, and they did it really well. And I thought, maybe that's what it is. Like, maybe this is the career that I need to focus on, because I seem to, you know, sort of have all these traits that um, you, you need to, you need to have. Um, and, and that was really what I was interested in pursuing at that time. So that's kind of how I became interested in surgery. Because when I went to medicine, originally, I didn't know um, what what I wanted to do. And that was a turning point for me. Wow. I'm, I don't think many people's turning points is a skydiving <laughs> uh, malfunction. But I, I guess, would you describe yourself as an adrenaline junkie then kind of living on the edge with the skydiving and heart surgery? You know, that's interesting because I actually wouldn't. And I've been asked this question um, because people would assume that that that's what brings me to it. But actually, do you do you meditate at all? Just a question for you. Not frequently, no. So um I started meditating and it's interesting when you start to meditate, they ask you to like focus on your breath, which to me is like the most, the hardest thing to do, because if you actually try to just focus on your breath and like not focus on anything else that's going on and just leave your thoughts out of it, it's very, very difficult. And even if I'm trying to do that for five or six minutes, it's very hard for me to do. Um, But there's these situations that put me in the state, right, where I just focus on that situation and my mind sort of empties of all anything else that's going on. And with skydiving, that's what really got me hooked on skydiving is it put me in the state where I was not thinking about anything else. Because, you know, the statistics are that like, most of our thoughts are actually negative, right. And so getting Meditation is like one of the most common ways that people describe that they can empty their mind of their thoughts. But for me, that's a very, very difficult thing to do. So um, when I went on my first skydive, that's the first time I experienced that state that, you know, people talk about that I'd heard of is when you're up there, you're at 13,000 feet, you're jumping out of the airplane And there's literally nothing else in my head at that time. Um, And so that it was emptying my head of all of my thoughts. And when I was back on the ground, then my thoughts kind of came back in. But until that time, all I was focusing on was that moment. So it was like this ultimate state of being present for me. And that's what really got me hooked on it. Wow. It's like there's zero time to panic and to overthink in those situations. You're just in the moment. Right. Exactly. That's amazing. And 
So you, you spoke about why you chose your specialty. Um, the turning point was skydiving and a, a malfunction. Was it, you didn't, you said that you weren't always focused on surgery. What were your thoughts before that? Did you have any idea of your vision in medicine then? Yeah, actually, that's interesting. I wanted to be a family medicine doctor. Um, and I think had I been born earlier, like in the 1940s, maybe that would have been possible because back then that was sort of my ideal vision of a family medicine physician is somebody that did everything. I wanted to deliver babies and I wanted to take care of the whole family. I wanted to you know, do procedures, but then I also wanted to do house calls. And that just didn't really exist anymore and not in a, in a metropolitan city. So that's really um, the closest that I could get to that was actually surgery, interestingly, um, because and that was what made me pursue a general surgery residency um, before, you know, kind of narrowing down a CT surgery. It was they they treated um, acute problems uh, very in a very like finite, precise way. So like somebody has acute appendicitis, you take out the appendix, right? And you, ha- you get results straight away. And I think that's like the quintessential nature of like why we want to do medicine is we want to make a difference. We want to help people. We want to change people's lives. We want to feel like we did something. And I felt like that was maybe what, you know, family medicine used to look like, right? But I feel like, you know, because of all the external constraints that family medicine and internal medicine doctors feel these days, that's not really something that's available in a lot of places that aren't rural, that, you know, are metropolitan and we, um, they're very limited. Um, so for me, I felt like I wanted to really experience that gratification of, um, being able to, to make a difference straight away. Um, and that's what that's what really veered me towards that specialty. Yeah, definitely the the wanting to go in and make an impact. Um, and and you're a passionate writer. You're on Kevin MD. You have this new book out. Uh, when did you start writing? I started writing pretty young. Um, I think it's always been a relief for me. Like I was one of those people who always journaled. Like I kept a diary as a kid, and I just wrote down all my thoughts. Um, so it was always sort of away from me to, um, I, I think, reconnect with myself and decompress at the end of the day. It was uh, huge for my mental health. And I know, especially in, you know, those teenage years, we all go through um, phases, especially a lot of us are bullied and things like that. And I think it that's where it really started is that it was an outlet um, more than anything else. So that's kind of how I started writing. And what prompted you to write the book? So Interestingly, it was just a lot of negativity. And and I'm generally a very positive person to like preface that. And I felt like every time I would walk into the surgeon's lounge, and even with myself uh, included, and I was talking about all these family doctors facing the constraints, you know, previously, um, but you know, also, we feel them too as surgeons, right? Like it's universal. It's not just and it's not just any one specialty. It's, it's sort of all of us. And I think a lot of it is on one hand, we have insurance companies. On the other hand, we have like our malpractice lawsuits that we deal with. We have administration, we have malignant peer review. We have all of these things, right? And I had actually a nurse that was wanted to go to medical school. And she's like, I'm going to take the MCAT. She actually like asked me earlier today. She's like, should I even go? Because there's, is it even worth it anymore? 
you know, and so that's kind of what I was experiencing as I was saying, I was seeing all these people and every time I would walk into the doctor's lounge, uh, they would, they would tell me about all these things. And, and I said, well, why is it worth it? And my, I kind of automatically went to, well, what, what is worth it about it? Right. And so what I wanted to do was really look into people that are in all these higher specialties. So, um, in the US, um, the statistics are actually pretty bad. So if you're in a high-risk specialty, there's a 99% chance, chance you're going to get sued. Um, so that's terrible, right? So you're basically going to get sued if you become a surgeon, essentially, is what it is. So it's just inevitable. So like, what can we do? And that was what I wanted to look into. Like, how can we approach this? So I started talking to people and it started with the people around me, like my immediate cohort. And I just started interviewing people. And I almost called this book between cases because that's when I did it. It's like between my cases. So I would grab a piece of paper and I literally said, hey, can I talk to you? Like, And I just picked a group of people that I thought, you know, A, I knew were close to me and B, had high risk career specialties. And I, I just jotted down their thoughts and I said, hey, like, what are some experiences that have happened? Like, what do you think about medicine? So that was part A is like medicine, right? Like what, what has affected us, right? And then part B was people that I knew through skydiving. So they had careers in other businesses, like stunt driving. One of them's like a professional stunt person. But um, in any case, I wanted to see what's the difference between group A and group B and can, can we learn from each other? And so in group B, what I found was that their relationship with stress and risk is much more positive. So they, for example, there's um, one, one person that talks about um, using signs of stress, like increased heart rate or, you know, um, sweaty palms, things like that as, okay, I'm at my optimal performance, let's go, Right. But, and that for me was transformative because I was like, okay, for me and probably for most physicians, that's a sign of like, okay, I need to step back. And I think that's in a lot of our training, right? Like, I think we're very risk averse. And I think that's why a lot of us go into medicine, honestly. Like, I think we're very risk averse. And I think, can we develop a better relationship with stress? And that's really what made me write the book. Wow. So it really is a, a meeting of your two passions of, you know, skydiving and medicine. So that's really interesting to see how the two can learn from each other, what medicine can, what medicine can take away from, from those kinds of high, high adrenaline sports. So that's really interesting. Thank you. And yes, you're right. I think a lot of people who go into medicine do it because it is kind of a safe option. It's very secure. Um, it's a very well laid out path. And um the statistics that you you write in the book of 99% of high-risk specialties get sued is insane. I didn't realize how high it was. It's just an inevitability. Basically, yeah. Yeah. And now what do you hope to to come from this book? Is there anything particular at the moment that you're hoping um, will happen now that it's out in the world? Yeah. I mean, I, I want to challenge that thinking. So you just said it's, you know, it's very, it's well laid, it's secure, but is it really right? So that's the thing. So more, uh, more doctors are being hired by hospitals or by senior physicians that, you know, are paying them a salary, but at the drop of a dime, right. With malignant peer review, with hospital politics, with, 
administrative challenges with RVUs not being up, like that can, that can stop. So we all kind of have this illusion, right? That we're secure in our job because, you know, we're, we're doctors or we're in medicines, but, but is that really true? And, and I would propose that it's not right. We're not secure. So I think we have to pivot and we have to say, you know, what is our self-worth and whatever it is that brought us to medicine can bring us to another solution or another career or another job, even within medicine, um, that makes us even more fulfilled or even happier. And I don't necessarily think that it's almost like we put ourselves in this cage, right? We put ourselves in this cage of, okay, well, if I don't stay in this job, then I won't make this money and I won't have to, like, I won't be able to feed my family or pay my mortgage or we put ourselves in this cage. But I, I challenge people to think of, okay, well, what's the worst case scenario? And am, if I'm the person that's been able to overcome all of this, like, like residency, you know, medical school fellowship for a lot of us. And if I was able to overcome all of this, can I bring those same qualities and, you know, come up with a solution because there's always an answer. And I think, you know, that that's really the key here is that when we feel boxed in, like we're in this cage um, it, it creates these limiting beliefs and we start to really engage in fear-based decision-making. So we start to, you know, do things not because we want to do them, but because we're afraid and we're risk averse. And when we start to do that, it's a losing game, right? Um, a, because we're not being true to ourselves and B, because we won't be able to defend what we're doing because we're doing it out of fear um, and not out of, not for any good reason. So I want to shift the mindset of physicians back to authentic decision-making and decision-making coming from your own, your own authenticity and ethics and morals, as opposed to all of these limiting beliefs that the system really makes makes it easy for us to, to take on, right? Because there's every reason to have limiting beliefs in medicine now, but can we see past that? And that's the big question, you know? Yeah, a hundred percent. I agree with so much of what you just said. And it, it really is a cage or a bubble or whatever you want to call it. And, um, in the hospital, you're surrounded by a lot of people thinking similarly and, you realize when you take a step back that the world's full of people living very authentic lives with their own values who haven't done a medical degree. And like you said, if you've done medical school, you've done intern residency, you've completed a fellowship, you've done all these hard things, of course you can translate that resilience and skills to whatever you want to do. So the options really are limitless. That's right. That's right. And at the end of the day, we're the only ones that are holding ourselves back. And that's because we it's almost like a pyramid scheme, right? <laughs> We've like bought medical school, right? And so now we owe all this money and we have to pay back all these loans. And we think, okay, 
well, now we've made this huge investment and we, our mind goes to, we have to, we have to stay in this job or we have to, but that's not really true. We make it true, but I don't think it's actually true. Definitely. And that mindset, that mindset shift from, I have to do this, or I'm stuck doing this to, I choose to do this is huge as well. So huge. Yeah. Yeah. Just feeling that sense of autonomy and that, no, this is my decision to continue. And choice is amazing. Had the privilege of choice. That's right. Now, um, you mentioned how you collected the stories. There were people that you knew, um, colleagues. Some of these stories are quite gut-wrenching because it is so familiar. Fear of making mistakes, fear of failure, fear of lawsuits, pressure of exams, anxiety to practice. Um how did you go about getting that kind of personal information? Because I know it's not as often shared amongst doctors. So they were my friends, honestly. <laughs> they were people in my immediate cohort. Um, and they were people that I, I knew had these experiences. And like, I'm sure you've noted, some of them have chosen to remain anonymous. And to me, that was a huge statement in itself, because it was like, there's so much fear in even sharing our experience. And it ties into a lot of the, you know, substance abuse even within physicians because we're so afraid to even seek mental health care that a lot of us end up, you know, in, in these situations where we're self-medicating. Um, and I've, I've encountered that too. And I, you know, I wanted to include some of that in my book, but people didn't even want to talk to me about that because they were so afraid that if they talked about that, they wouldn't have a job. And I just want to point out that in no other industry is that a factor, right? Like, um, it's just in medicine, it, it's such, it's almost like a handicap. And that really is debilitating because it limits, you know, people seeking the help that they need and end up, it ends up creating, you know, so many other issues. Yeah, definitely. Um, I went to the Doctors' Health Conference here in, in Australia. It was in Adelaide at the end of last year. And they were sharing um, about people who were struggling with substance abuse and who were doctors and essentially coming forward that you have an issue isn't the problem it's the kind of having that stigma of not coming forward and then it gets to a point where then it does become a problem but there is a lot of shame unfortunately in medicine there's a lot of shame and I think the culture needs to change and I think that's part of you know why I wanted to at least get this book out there and give people a voice like add to the voices that have already been out there because the more of us speak up and the more of us say that these are issues, I think the more will influence it's, it's like a huge tide, right? And like, we just have to influence the culture change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it reminds me if you, do you know Dr. Una? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we are the culture change. We are the culture change. Absolutely. Yes. We are the culture change. Um, now, everyone in medicine, everyone listening uh, who practices has made a mistake. It's something that's also inevitable. We're human. Um, but again, it's not often talked about. And you share some of these complications and these high-risk procedures um, in your book. And you shared your own story. So I want to thank you for, for doing that because I think the more that we are open about it, like you said, the more we can change this this shift, this shift in the culture. Um, what's your view on people not speaking about 
medical mistakes? Well, I think I always advocate for transparency. Um, First and foremost, I think it's for patient care, because I think at the end of the day, most of us are smart enough to go into anything we want to do once we make it into medicine, just because of how rigorous the training is. But most of us actually went into medicine to make a difference and to help people. So I feel like what else are we doing here if it's not for our relationship with the patient? So if there is a complication, I always tell the patient and I always tell them exactly what happened and I always call it what it is. And that's a complication. And I think that at the end of the day, um, complications are part of procedures that we do. They're going to happen. Um, and that's very well described. That's known no matter what, what happens when you're trying to do an operation or treat a disease, um, you have to anticipate that on some level. And a lot of that is our job, right? Like when I'm doing a cabbage on someone that has a low ejection fraction, I think of every scenario possible. So I think of, okay, well, is this patient going to need a balloon pump? Or are they going to need an impella? Or am I going to be able to just come off on inotropes? Or what what am I going to need to do, right? And I often, in my high-risk cases, I often discuss that with a patient family. And I'm very open up front, like before the actual surgery, like, hey, you know, mom is very sick. Like, here's the all the possible scenarios you know, she might, you know, come off on cardiopulmonary bypass, which is basically ECMO. It's um, converting the traditional like CPB to a circuit that the patient can travel with, right? So when we put a patient on ECMO, that's basically um, a sign that they're very, very sick and that their heart need, heart and lungs need full support. So when I'm talking to patients and their families and they're high risk and they, you know, I always describe that. So in the spirit of transparency, then if something happens, like in cardiothoracic surgery, the most common complication is bleeding um, post-op. And that's because of the coagulopathy that comes with the circuit, for example, or if they have pre-existing issues as well, that can play into it. But I always tell them, you know, um, if that happens, that's going to be a complication, but we might have to take them back. And if they go back and I have to leave the chest open, that's technically another complication. But what can you do? I mean, you at the end of the day, your relationship with the patient and the family is how you're going to get through because you're just doing the surgery, but the patient is actually doing the rest of the work in a way. So and you have to get them on board with what you're doing. So that's just such the human part of what we do. So I think that's that's very important. Um, but I think, yeah, the transparency in describing complications and just telling everyone that it happened, that's, the, that's actually the best way to treat it. And not only with the family and the patient, but with everyone around you. Because if you tell people like the ICU doctor taking care of the patient or the cardiologist that's helping you with the patient that, hey, there's this complication. If you're very upfront and frank about it, then you're going to get a lot of people on your team. They're going to come help you, right? But if they don't know what's going on, they can't help you. And so to me, it's, it's just calling it what it is because there's no shame in complications. That's the problem it's not the crime, it's the cover up, right? That's the, the, the famous quote. It's not the crime, it's the cover up. But yeah. you know, the second you think you're having issues, or you're having a complication, you want to get as many people 
on the team as possible that are in the hospital. The only way you're going to do that is by telling them you had a complication and that the patient's having a complication and that, hey, we're having issues. I need help, right? But if you try to, you know, kind of downplay that, it's it's not going to help anybody, right? It's not going to help the patient. It's not going to help the situation. Um, and they're not going to do well because it's, especially in surgery, it's a team sport. Yes, team is so key. I think, honestly, I didn't realize medicine was a team sport until about three, four years into it. I think as a junior, I took everything onto my shoulders and Medicine is such a team, you know, you work with the nurses, allied health, your other colleagues, seniors, other juniors. It's um, It should never be all in one person. You work together and um, transparency is key. And I think if more people like yourself and the book that you um, publish share about this, hopefully everyone can be open with each other as well and learn from it. Yeah, um, I think you make a really good point, but we already have, we're already sort of in a situation where we're, there's a lot of external pressures. And if we can all band together, that would be a big shift in, in the culture of medicine. And I think if we can contribute to that, and I think what you're doing, like with your podcast, that's actually huge. That's contributing to that in a big way. Um, so thank you for your work. I think that's great. Well, thank you. And thank you for yours. Thank you. <laughs> um, Now, another thing that I really like that you mentioned in the book is the arrival fallacy. Um, So that's a big thing in medicine. You know, once I finish medical school, once I finish internship, once I finish fellowship, you always have this kind of moving goalposts, so to speak. Um, Do you mind sharing more about that? Yeah, absolutely. But and I think, again, it comes from this idea of, you know, medicine is a secure career. Right. So, you know, there's a certain type of person that I think, you know, is veers towards medicine, someone who's very smart, but who's also risk averse in a way. And they think that, okay, once we, you know, get into medical school and we pay this money, we go through the training, it's a very defined set pathway, right? If you're going into, if you're going to be a, an entrepreneur, like a venture capitalist, like not so defined, like you really, you, you don't, you don't know what's going to happen. You have to try a lot of different things. There's not a lot of certainty. There's not a lot of security in medicine. You know, if you just do these things, if you take these tests, if you, it's very defined. All right. Step in the U S USMLE step one, step two, step three. I don't know what you guys do out there, but I, I would assume it's like a series of exams, right? Yeah, it, there's no, there's, it's not called step, but yeah, you know, you graduate medical school, you have exams throughout and um, every college here is a bit different. So it's um, it depends what college you want to do. But yes, it's there's a series of mile, like goalposts, like I said, you have to get through. Yeah, but you've arrived, right? So so then the pro- the dream is you have arrived. Okay, and then... Um, it's sort of this, this idea that, you know, you can relax now, but that's not actually true, right? Like that's not actually true, especially now. So two things are happening. So firstly, like the paradigm is shifting to where, you know, doctors are pretty, um, like as more hospitals are hiring doctors, right. And, and doctors are becoming more, um, interchangeable and, it's not as secure of a career as it used to be 20, 30 years ago, right? And secondly, 
our mind just like adjusts to this new set point. Um, there's like lots of research on this, like in, in sort of the mindset, motivation, happiness sphere, but our mind sort of adjusts to the new set point and it doesn't really fulfill us anymore. So there has to be more than that. You know what I mean? Um, so that's that's my my thought on it. Yeah, it's like this kind of, okay, what now? What next once you're there? What what now? What next? And if you're not feel if like to speak more to like a rival fallacy, it's like, okay, now that I've like achieved all of these things, um, is there anything like if I'm still not feeling internally fulfilled or if I'm still struggling, but yet I've invested all this money, I've paid all this money, now I'm getting depressed, right? Now I'm getting disappointed. Now I'm angry. Now I'm maybe, you know, kind of in the worst case scenario, sort of de decompensating into mental illness, depression, which is very common in physicians because the the dream has not, you know, sort of given me everything that I've gotten that or everything that I've been promised, right? And so what's what am I going to do now? Because I've invested my whole life has been about this, about becoming a doctor. So I think the journey needs to be about self-worth and about knowing yourself and about not identifying with your job. And I think that's a problem. I think it's very, very easy for us after all of these years of all of this training to identify as, you know, doctors. Like my husband jokes around and he says that my daughter will know me as Dr. Karazi and not <laughs> as mom. Because, but literally that's what it is because we spend, you know, time, effort. I mean, you know, so much energy on our jobs that we almost become one with our job, but that's so detrimental because, you know, we are actually a gift to our field and a gift to our job, but we can take those skills and energies and efforts elsewhere if we wanted to and needed to. And that's that freedom of thought that I think we really need to embody and that we find it so hard to embody right and that's kind of how where we have to fight the arrival fallacy yes yes I 100% agree again with that and the identity um is so wrapped up you know in being a doctor um hello there <laughs> have a little guest this is Harper your daughter this is Harper hi Harper <laughs> Um, yeah, so you can get so wrapped up in the identity of, you know, you're a doctor that you forget all the other roles, which is why also Balanced Medics was created to say you're more than a doctor, you're more than an exam result, you're more than a program, you know, everyone's so many things. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, 100%. Now there's um, something else I found interesting with your final chapter on your skydiving Um I think it was a separate incident as well then because um, you were describing the first one, but your um, yes. your lines got tangled and you were falling. Um, and I found that super interesting because when I was working through my own fear of failure, I likened it to jumping out of a plane without a parachute. <laughs> and then you had, you've had like the real life experience. So that's awesome. Yeah. I, <laughs> that's very, yeah, that's, yep. I can see that parallel. Yeah, and you've um you've proven to yourself that you can react to it, so that's 
I guess it's like, what else do you have to lose after that? Yeah, no, that's interesting that you say that because um, that's exactly what it feels like as it's almost like that. that's what I do, like to more to your point when I'm in a surgery and everything's going really badly. Like, for example, um, I recently had a patient that, you know, arrested at a time that they weren't supposed to and they went into a bad rhythm. But I was just thinking to myself, you know what, if I could get myself through that situation, if I literally had no parachute above my head and I was falling at 120 miles per hour towards the ground and I figured that out, I can figure this out. I got this. Like, so, so yeah, absolutely. That's a great analogy. Yes. Yes, definitely. And I really, um, enjoy the idea that we can learn something from that side of things too, as a medical profession. Um, now I ask this of everyone that comes on the podcast, what is balance to you? That's a good question because I feel like there's this idea of balance, right? And I feel like we are like almost sold this idea of balance that makes us put pressure on ourselves. Right. So it, it's almost like, okay, I have to spend time with my kid and I have to spend time at work and I have to, you know, be, you, you know, we have to do all the things. But I don't think that that really exists in that form. Like for me, it's, you know, the, the question at every single day is sort of what can I do to, you know, make myself fulfilled and happy today? And it's different things on different days. So some days I have, you know, a bunch of really difficult surgeries in a row, or I'm on call and I get like an emergent aortic dissection. And on those days, I'm, I'm mainly a surgeon and either my parents or my husband, somebody's taking care of my kid, you know, and I just, that's, that's balance that day is I'm just, I'm, I'm a surgeon, I'm doing what I need to do as a surgeon. And on other days, you know, then I'm, I'm mom and I'm spending my entire day with my kids. So I don't think balance in the classic way exists, but I think balance is defined at the end of the day. You know, you have to ask yourself, like, did I do like, what are the, what are all the things I do? I did today that were good and that fulfilled me. Right. Um, and that I was supposed to do because I think our mind automatically goes to the negative. That's like our evolutionary brain. Like we go to thinking about all the things we didn't do and all the ways that we, you know, didn't measure up, right? But I think if we just think about, okay, well, how about all the things I did do and all the great, you know, accomplishments of today? And that's what I've started doing is every day I create like this evidence list of things that I did that were really great, right? And um, that really makes me smile and it makes me think like, okay, like I was, I, I rocked at being a surgeon today and, you know, tomorrow Saturday and I'm not on call and I get to spend the day with my kid and that's awesome, you know? And so that's, for me, that's balance. Yes. I love that. And I, I have all this too. I like put a little mark. I'm like, what did I do for myself this week? You know, physically, emotionally. And it's, it's great to see it in front of you because you can feel like you said, oh, I didn't do anything this week. And then you're like, actually, no, this is all the things that I did. So good job. Thank you. And today was self-care or I guess Monday in the US, like it was self-care day. I don't know. Did you guys have that there too? Or oh, was no, it self-care day? That. It was self-care day Monday. So like every day I told my daughter, I'm like, no matter what I have at work, every day we're going to do something, right? So Monday we went on a hike. 
Tuesday, um, we went to a pizzeria. We got pizza. And then Wednesday, we went to see the Barbie movie. Um, and then Thursday, we did like a mom and daughter spa day where she painted my nails. Like oh. I, I took it all off because I had to do surgery later. But, you know, like every day we did something that was fun and that we kind of celebrated ourselves, you know? I love that. That's so great. Um, now, is there anything else you'd like to add that you think would benefit the listeners right now? Yeah, um, I think think I'll really put in a plug for the technique that I really use to reset and that's mindset coordinates and I've talked about this um, before but I want to really describe what it is and so for for in skydiving for example coordinates like basically we use coordinates a lot right and so we have to figure out exactly where we are so before we're jumping out of an airplane we have to say okay well, um, here's exactly when we open the door, we actually do something called spotting where we look below at the drop zone and we say, okay, here's exactly where we are. We can exit the airplane now and then we'll make it back to the drop zone. So that's really important. And I've kind of applied that to ev- you know, everything in my life. And it's it's sounds like it's really simple, but if you really think about it, like, Sometimes you're just like in a bad mood and you don't know exactly why. And I always stop and I say, like, where am I? Like, where am I right now? Like in my mindset, like, where am I? Like, why am I feeling this way? And I look at all the circumstances and then I try to deconstruct the the circumstances from my thoughts because our thoughts ultimately do create our feelings, right? So um, I try to say, okay, I, I look look to the left metaphorically, like look to the right, like exactly where am I? And because before you know exactly where you are and that's self-awareness and that's being, being mindful, um, then you cannot figure out where to go next. So the first step is figuring out where you are and then you can make a map to a better place. So if you're in a bad mindset, bad mood, stressed out, not feeling well, you really need to pause and figure out like, what are my mindset coordinates? Like, where am I? And like, where do I need to go next? So that's probably the simplest but most effective technique that I use to reset. And I do it all the time. I love that because it can be quite easy to get disconnected from your mind and body and medicine. Um, you know, you can really ignore a lot of what you're feeling, the hunger, the, the fatigue, whatever, needing to go to the bathroom, um, whatever it may be. So, right. Uh, you can get home and be like, oh, I feel terrible. I don't know why. You know what I mean? But the coordinates, that's a great way of putting it, actually connecting with yourself and being like, okay, check in. Check in. That's right. Yeah. Now, how can people reach out to you, find your book, find your website? Do you mind uh, letting us know? Yeah, sure. So um, on Instagram, I'm Alexandra Karazi, MD, all one word. Um, K-H-A-R-A-Z-I is how you spell my last name. TikTok, I'm on uh, The Heart of Fear. Um, And then I'm on LinkedIn as well. And that's just my first and last name, Alexandra Karazi, uh, MD. So, um, and my website is www.alexkarazi.com. And uh, where can we buy the book? You can get on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, but the best place is Amazon. Great. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to meet and chat to you. Thank you very much. It's been an honor being on. Thank you. 
You've been listening to the Balance Medics Handover podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, I'd love for you to take a minute to rate and review this podcast and click the follow button. For more resources, check out the Balance Medics website. The link to this will be in the show notes below. See you next episode.